The retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saunier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's Jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Hello and welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show EDU edition for this week. Uh, Today on this show, we kind of went back and forth about what we were going to talk about, but uh, Jim came up with an idea after he was thinking about uh, remodeling his basement, Uh, kind of a strange seed (laughs) that, that grew into an idea for the show, but it caused him to kind of be rethinking about how those types of activities fit in the minimum dignity floor concept that we we uh, promote. And um, we had gotten a couple of emails uh, when we did our series on the fund number here not too long ago that uh, kind of, uh, you know, came at the, the whole concept of the minimum dignity floor, which leads to looking at that, uh, your portfolio, what we call a see-through portfolio to identify all these component pieces, which you work through and then ultimately get to your fund number. And they kind of had uh, uh, opposing questions, I guess, related to that. And and it all started with uh, Jim fumbling around in his basement a little, apparently. So he's going to uh, share with us kind of his thought processes on how we got to today's show. And we'll dig into these two emails, even though this isn't a Q&A show. A lot of times an email will prompt uh, one of these EDU shows, which is a focused show on a particular topic. So we're going to revisit, at least for this show, before we launch off into something new, um, uh, the fun number and MDF and kind of our whole concept uh, to retirement planning. Uh, again, we'll, we'll do it repeatedly because um, new questions come up all the time. So... Jim, I, I personally haven't seen the questions. You kind of described what was going on in these questions, but uh, you'll have to fill in our audience as to why these questions prompted today's show. Well, I, welcome, everybody. Uh, first of all, this is Jim. As you know, unless you're a new listener, uh, this is my voice, and what you heard before was Chris. And if you are a new listener, be prepared. Chris is going to take over the show most of the time. He's going to ramble on like a dog seeing a squirrel and just go down these rabbit holes. But um, I will attempt to rein him in and keep him on, on track. Do you think that's a and fair everyone, assessment? Everyone appreciates that about you. Yeah, I'm yes. sure. I am sure. <laughs> uh, so 
hopefully new listeners will will learn to appreciate Chris and his his efforts to try to teach. He gets excited and rambles on and on and on at times, but uh, he tries hard to stay on on focus. Okay, so you're probably all wondering how the hell can I meet with a builder who's actually my friend Eric and walk through my basement, which sadly got flooded two years ago when a pipe burst in one of our very warm negative 10 degree nights in Fort Collins, excuse me, in Colorado uh, in the wintertime. And how I can equate what's going on with the builder to retirement planning. And it didn't hit me that way at first, Chris. So I was walking through the basement with Eric. Uh, again, the, the basement flooded two years ago. And it was mostly because, if people are wondering how the heck the basement flooded, uh, my, my uh, house is uh, heated with uh, radiator heat. So the old boilers, which mine's a brand new boiler that I bought a few years ago, but a boiler heats water and sends it to these various zones in the house. I actually like that heating style, Chris, by the way, mm -hmm. much better than yeah. hot air because each room has its own zone and each mm -hmm. section of the house as well. I can really zoom in and get one room really hot if I want and one room re relatively cool. So that pot is really cool with a boiler. What's not so cool is when you had a very old boiler like I did at the time and it developed an airlock and it was just making this really weird noise. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, I'm, I, I can't sleep. It happened at two in the morning and I knew how to release the airlock. The plumber had shown me how to do it. I just didn't feel like doing it at two in the morning. And because I heat a lot of my house, Chris, with firewood, I kind of thought, no big deal. Even though it's negative 10 outside, I can shut the boiler off. The house will still be warm. And at two in the morning, it seemed like a brilliant idea. So I shut the boiler off and went back to bed. And the house stayed warm because I have a pretty big wood stove upstairs that heats my living room, my kitchen. Uh, everything is, is in the um, dining area. Everything was, was still toasty warm. And, and it worked wonderful, Chris. And then the plumber actually came out that day and fixed the little airlock and we turned everything back on. And it wasn't until a day or two later that I was walking by the, the basement door and I heard water dripping. Mm. And I thought to myself, well, that, that, that's not good <laughs> no. to, to, to hear water dripping in, in your basement. And what had happened when I shut the boiler off at two in the morning and the plumber didn't fix everything until, I don't know, maybe 12 hours, 14 hours later, and I turned everything back on, the pipe had frozen. And apparently my system didn't have some sort of antifreeze or whatever that should have been put in. Uh, this goes back to probably when when the house was, was first done, I don't know. But they sell antifreeze that, that goes into the, the boiler uh, water and would keep it from freezing if the power ever went out. Apparently, mine didn't have that. Mm -hmm. uh, it does now, folks. That's the good news. Uh, the bad news is apparently had leaked for several days before I discovered it. And my basement, which was a finished basement, uh, was covered in about three inches of water all across the basement. And... Um, now I'm in the process of fixing all that. And for the past two years, everything has been upstairs in, in what I affectionately call the dead animal room. But it's uh, a very nice room in the house, actually. It faces south. It's got a cathedral ceiling and big glass uh, 
wall facing south. And it's a wonderful room to be in in the summer, excuse me, in the wintertime. Not so wonderful in the summertime, but in the wintertime, it's a beautiful, beautiful room to be in. It's nice and warm. And my girlfriend, Rachel, really loves that room. And she's been saying to me repeatedly, when are you going to fix the basement so all this stuff in the room can go back downstairs and we can enjoy this, this sunroom? Um, I'm beginning to understand the pleasures of having women in your life too, Chris. So I they, said they to get her, you to okay, do stuff you've been putting off. <laughs> Why do you keep as a bachelor? I'm like, I don't care, right. but <laughs> I don't use it enough. I don't care if the basement's not done, but apparently she does. So I'm in the process of fixing it and I have a budget in my mind, folks. And I've been walking through the basement with my friend. He's telling me the materials to buy and what he's going to need. And that night, as I started pricing things out, and of course, I haven't gone yet to the actual showrooms and figured out what I want, I had to break my budget. My budget was fixed, and I really want to stick to this fixed budget. It's not an unlimited budget either. I want to be practical about this. It is a basement. I don't use it that much. I'd like it to be fairly nice because it's where one of my spare bedrooms is if people come visit. And it's also where I tend to clean my firearms when I go shooting and I kind of want to rebuild that bench area. So I only have a limited budget, as we all do. And Chris, I started thinking, when you retire, you only have a limited budget. It would be wonderful if I had a stream of guaranteed income that came to me every month, no matter how long I lived, and it was earmarked, you know, basement remodel. And if I knew every month there was a certain amount of money coming in, Chris, it'd be pretty easy to do my basement. I would know every month how much I could spend on it, and I could either save up a number of months to come up with a big expense, or just have Eric come out every month and say, hey, work until this money is gone, and then next month come back and do the same thing. If I had that, but I don't, I have a fixed pool of money, and I have to now budget my repairs. It may not be a perfect analogy, folks, to what retirement planning is, but it did get me to realize the simple step of taking my budget and starting to break it out to the expenses so I can see how much can I afford to pay on the carpet. I want the basement carpet. It's the cool basement. I like the warmth of the carpet. How much am I, can I spend on carpet? How deep can my, the, the little padding or whatever they call it that goes between uh, the carpet and the hard basement floor. How thick? Well, the thicker I want it, the more it's going to cost. How soft do I want that? The area that I'm going to clean my guns is going to have a different type of flooring. I can't remember what. Eric told me what to order. I don't have it in front of me, but it's going to be resistant if I drop any of my my cleaning fluids or, or something on the floor. It's not going to stain. It's going to be hard. I can easily remove it. But the same thing, how soft of a pad do I want under there? How thick of a pad on the actual flooring do I want? So all these things started coming into play. Do I want naughty pine? Do I want plain pine? Do I want hardwood floors and trim? And it got me to realize, Chris, I had to look into this budget and start pulling out the expenses. I was doing nothing more than asset liability mapping. How do we approach retirement planning, Chris? Well, it's essentially that same way. We know we've got this pool of funds that has to do all these different things, like all the different things you're talking about for your basement. 
and we've got to start kind of uh, chopping up that that pool, that portfolio that you've got, and assigning each piece its job to see if there's enough to go around, and if there uh, is, great. Maybe we could splurge a little more and upgrade the finishes in one area of retirement or, you know, increase the padding or what have you, like you were doing with the basement. Or if there's not enough, then you've got to prioritize and decide, do I need to shift things around, take a little bit out of this piece and put it over here because I prefer this and, and that kind of thing. So it is actually very similar just on a broader scale and over a longer period of time. We're not talking about a, you know, a two-year basement remodel with just those factors. We're talking about all the different variables that go into retirement over maybe a 25 or 30 year period, but it's essentially the same idea. Precisely. And it got me to thinking of a few emails that I got back when we did our, um, excuse me, fun number series back in February. So I pulled those emails out because we hadn't answered them yet. And I like two emails that are pretty much opposite. They came in on the exact same day, but they're asking pretty much opposite questions. And I told Chris, I said, I think this will be a good EDU. It's going to allow us to dig in again and share with people what we feel is our approach to retirement planning. may not work for everyone, but it's an approach we like. But it is an approach that essentially follows the same concept that I have to do with my basement remodeling. Everybody listening to this, unless you are a brand new 20, 30-year-old and you, you never really got involved in life yet. I mean, you, you, you've got your whole life in front of you. Everyone else, we have dealt with budgets. When I purchased this office, this office was a small 1,000 square foot 1905 home that I swear, Chris, I don't know if you, you, you didn't go in it originally before the remodel. It was a drug den. There's no doubt in my mind it was a drug den. And in fact, one of the neighbors thanked me for finally removing the eyesore. But again, I had a budget for remodeling this into a near 3,000 square foot office. I had to stay within that budget. Most people listening to this understand the concept of budgeting for a type of remodel or a new home build or something like that. And you are simply looking into your budget and seeing what is that going to buy. It might seem at first, wow, I have a $100,000 budget to remodel my office. And trust me, my office was a lot more than 100000 to remodel, but I'm just giving this as an example. It may sound like a lot of money until... You start looking into that $100,000 and breaking out what it actually has to go to. This is for the labor. This is for the hardwood flooring. This is for the granite. This is for the, the, the um, what do you have to call it? The permits and everything that I had to pull. I mean, everything has a cost. And you start to realize, wow, these, these dollars might not go that far. And if there's no more dollars, if there's no more guaranteed income stream coming in, that bottomless cup of coffee, you have to limit those expenses. It's the same concept that drove my creation of the see-through portfolio to fund number. It goes all the way back to Chris and I's insistence that minimum dignity for food, utilities, transportation, housing, and health care should not be subject to the whims of one big spending portfolio. They're too important. 
You need to cover those for the rest of your life with steady income, no matter how long you live, whether you have money or not. When my basement remodel budget goes, it goes. I have decided I am not going to throw more money towards it. I have to stay within that budget. When it's gone, it's gone. If your retirement money is gone, it's gone. You can only spend a dollar once. Minimum dignity for expenses continue. That's why Chris and I like to cover them with lifetime guaranteed secure income, Social Security, pension, and income annuity. If you're a new listener, annuities are not a four-letter word on this podcast. We also don't love them. And there's a lot of crappy annuities out there as well. We will be dedicating an entire month of June to annuities because it's Annuity Awareness Month. We don't push annuities. We don't sell annuities. We just believe in them at time so we can get to them later. I don't want new listeners to go, oh, my God, he said the four-letter word, annuity. No, here is out on annuities. Keep an open mind and keep listening to our podcast. But, folks... Now you start to see if I had an unlimited bottomless cup of coffee of basement remodel money, I wouldn't have spent hours on Home Depot and Lowe's and Coppet Mills websites over the past weekend trying to budget this all out. I would just say, okay, I got this money. Next month I got more money. Next month I got more money. But retirement doesn't work that way. Not everyone is a unicorn. Chris, what's a unicorn for our new listeners? Well, we call the people that have enough secure income naturally from Social Security, pension income, usually uh, in combination, that they cover not just their minimum dignity floor expenses, but also all of their intended fun expenses as well. So essentially their whole dream of retirement as far as the regular recurring expenses go are satisfied with recurring income that will last their lifetime. They're rare, they're pretty rare in the United States and probably globally. <laughs> so we, you know, just affectionately refer to them as unicorns, which I've heard are also fairly rare. Correct. But we do run into unicorns, the, the retirement do. ones, not, not, not the ones with the, the, the antler coming out. Yeah, I've only seen a couple of those. Head, the, the, I, horn, horn, a horn, not an antler. Well, could you tell a, them a hunter, the antler a, coming out of their head. Could be a big straight <laughs> antler, I guess. But you had a six-year-old daughter at one time. I mean, she's a lot older now, so you've probably seen pink unicorns. Oh, all kind of colors. Rainbow, <laughs> sparkly, blue. Yeah. So where I'm going with this, folks, your budgeting is what you're doing when you create or at least follow our approach to retirement planning. Once you can pull out and fully protect your minimum dignity floor, there's only so much money that's left. The goal is to help you come up with your fund number, as you know. How do you do that? You do it through a concept we call the see-through portfolio. Just like I have to see through my basement remodel budget and see, okay, here's my budget. It seems like enough, but once I start spreading it all out, hey, wow, this is some Decisions that need to be made here. It's not quite as easy as I thought. There's a big price difference between naughty pine and plain white pine um, French doors. And a huge difference if I go into the hardwood naughty alder, which is what my upstairs is made out of. 
And I could see, well, I got to make some decisions here. Do I want plain old pine to save a hell of a lot of money? Do I want naughty pine or do I want to go back to naughty alder? Well, if I go to naughty alder, maybe I don't get as thick a cushion in the carpeting. Or maybe I don't get as thick a backing as the area where I'm going to have my gun cleaning station. It relates to retirement planning. Because as you're looking through your portfolio, once your minimum dignity floor is set, the remaining money, we call it your preliminary fund number. This is after you mine out of your, your money. Here's, here's what you need for minimum dignity floor. What's left? Preliminary fund number. Once you look at that preliminary fund number, you've got some decisions to make. What are you going to put, if anything, towards guaranteed inheritance? What are you going to put, if anything, to a buffer in case something happens? What are you going to put to the most important one? I should mention this first, not last. Aging and LTC, two totally different but closely related expenses. Because you have to decide how to take care of those items before you're left with, in our opinion, the only spending that remains, your discretionary fund spending. So you have to see through and often make similar, albeit maybe not as difficult decisions for me, if I'm going to go through three doors is a lot easier of a decision to make than how much money do I reserve for my aging, my older self. I concede that, but the concept is the same. So you have to make some even more difficult decisions. And you might start to realize many of you, there's not enough dollars to go around to fully do everything. Or Sometimes the news is good. We may not have a unicorn for everyone, but we get a lot of people who are close to a unicorn. Maybe they're the cute little horse, but they just don't have the the horn coming out of their forehead that, gee, the numbers look pretty darn good. That's how I came up with this idea, trying to budget my basement. So here are the two emails, Chris, that I think would be beneficial to help. If anybody is unsure of our approach to retirement, go back and listen. Uh, I believe they started in late January through mid-February, and it was on the fun number, how I came up with the concept of it. Like we do all the time on this show, we try to spend a good amount of time on the why do we believe in doing things, not just the how. To me, the why is just as important. And I think that series was a five shows, six shows, Chris. I, I think six. I don't know, but quite a few shows, right? Boy, I don't know how many. It was. It was quite a few. It was quite a few. Because we it became we, the longest series we did, didn't it? It beat out maybe. the um, con- the the process itself, and it beat yeah. out the investment one. It even beat out the Kulak one. Well, so the, I, I'm looking at it now. The if you're fairly new and you're trying to gather together what what the heck is this minimum dignity floor they're talking about and the fund number the we have a series and it was also i think a six-part series called all about the minimum dignity floor that was done in august and the beginning of september of 2022 uh the fund number conversation we had was this kind of late january february ish of 2023 those two elements there uh, cover eighty percent probably of our approach. We kind of uh, we'll call it the core of the approach to our retirement planning process. Um, 
but we seem to kind of get exhausted after about six shows on one topic, luckily. So they they pretty much all peter out after six shows, no matter what the no matter what the uh, topic might be uh, for these longer ones. So, um, so okay. yeah, within the last twelve months, we've covered pretty much everything uh, regarding our process. Perfect. All right. Before I read the questions, we started something new lately, and that is trying to have Chris guess the states that someone is from, mm. and we ask people when they email me to give me hints. Mm-hmm. This is before that, but we got a question in that I did not want to read on the show. I actually reached out to this person personally, explained to him why I'm not going to read his question on the show, but gave him an answer. And I'll just leave it at that. I don't want to read his question, but I told him, I love your hint. So I'm going to find a reason to use it. So here's the reason, Chris, since I don't have one, guess what state these two emails might be from? Because they don't even tell me the state they're in. Okay, here's the hint. This state, and I love this hint. This state, and and hold on. Are you clamping your hands and sitting your pompous hiney on them so you're not going to Google this? Yes, I'm not going to Google it. I've already promised you and all of our listeners I will not Google the answer. This state is where the delicious goo goo cluster is made hmm. i'm not a big goo goo cluster oh don't tell fan. me you know what a goo goo cluster is this is going to really ruin it if you know what the hell this is i thought you weren't going to guess this no i know what a goo goo cluster is oh come on seriously what's a goo goo cluster it's a chocolatey covered kind of a turtle-ish looking thing if I remember correctly, it's been years since I've even seen one. Where so are they from? I'm, I'm thinking like Pennsylvania or something like that, maybe. Oh, good. You didn't get it. Okay. <laughs> well, I didn't want you to get it because I didn't know this answer. <laughs> oh, you just want me to be wrong because you didn't know? <laughs> Thanks. No, I I have I don't know where a lot of these candies are made, but it sounds like I something I never even heard of a Google. I thought it was a pastry. Oh, no. it's a It's like a... Chocolate candy, if I remember correctly, and and has like caramel and other chunks, other clustery nut things in there or something. Okay, if now now he gives away in his end. Now, folks, you can all be guessing in your head the state. As soon as I tell you what the goo in goo goo stands for, you're going to guess the state. There's no doubt in my mind. Goo in goo goo stands for Grand Ole Opry. What? You're kidding. I don't proof the answers. What's the state? Tennessee. Tennessee. I thought it it was like gooey. I got to look up what's inside one now. Not where I'll, you know, I mean, you should proceed with the question, but <laughs> while you're doing that. But maybe. yeah, so I, I just, I like that. I thought that was a cute little hint. Google cluster. I had never even heard of a Google cluster. Yeah, they're kind of like a turtle. It is what I remember. It is kind of like okay. a, I, I heard of turtle, but and then he goes on to say Nashville's stands, official candy, huh? Nashville's official candy. He says Goo Goo stands for G O O Grand Ole Opry. Is that true? Anyways, that's what he said. Okay. okay, here are the questions that we got in that I think are pretty good. First one, remember two diametrically opposite questions came in on the same day. 
from two different people. I am very much enjoying your series okay. on the fun Let's, number. I got to take oh. one quick time out. I'll read this really quick. I'm on the Goo Goo Cluster website. Here's the question. Where did the name Goo Goo come from? Here's the official answer. The true tale of how the Goo Goo Clusters got its name is that candy maker Howell Campbell was riding the streetcar to work one day, telling his fellow passengers about a new candy he'd invented. Campbell mentioned he was struggling to find a name for it, so passengers offered suggestions, but nothing particularly excited him. Eventually, the conversation shifted, and a school teacher inquired about Campbell's inf- infant son. He told her that the baby just said his first words, Goo Goo. The teacher exclaimed, That's what you should call your candy, Goo Goo. It's so good, people will ask for it from birth. That's the official story from the Goo Goo Cluster website. Oh, well, Mr. Tennessee, sorry, Chris Chris dis, disagrees with your assessment that uh, Grand Ole Opry. But I like his approach, though. Goo for Grand mm-hmm. Ole Opry. And it's in the right location. <laughs> so It's Nashville's official mm-hmm. candy. Yeah, I get it. Okay, but moving on okay. to more important things. Thank you. All right. First question came in, folks, in reference to the fun number. Keep in mind the concept of see-through portfolio, budgeting for my basement, same concept. I'm very much enjoying the series on your fun number. Can you share anecdotes or stories of people who followed your process, spent heavily on fun in their go-go phase, and were happy with their decision? That was the first question that came in. Second question, same day, later on that evening, another question comes in. And I thought at first, folks, this has got to be the same guy. And I I looked and and it wasn't a totally different person who had a totally different question. It begins, I agree with your overall approach to retirement planning. However, every plan approach has its gives and its takes. What are the drawbacks or compromises of your approach? Or let's put this another way. What would another financial advisor that you respect say about your approach and the drawbacks to it? I thought, here's someone saying, what are the pros? And this guy's asking, what are the cons? Mm -hmm. And they kind of offset each other. And that's a wonderful way for you do-it-yourselfers to look at anything. Whether it's stuff that we talk about on this podcast, recognizing, of course, we have no professional or personal relationship with a generic podcast listener. We're not giving specific advice to you. We're just giving you information for you to make your own informed decisions. Whenever you adopt something, don't adopt our approach or other retirement planning approaches without you first looking at the pros and the cons of of each approach or all approaches that you're evaluating. Ours is not always the perfect one, but it works for us. And it's the approach that we like to do. As a firm, as a business owner, let me put my business owner hat on right now. My firm could not give or, or offer. Think of this, Chris. What if we offered six different ways to calculate your retirement. Hmm. We wouldn't be able to function. Our team would be moving, oh, this one's doing approach number one. Oh, this person's doing approach number four. This one's doing approach number six. We wouldn't be able to operate smoothly. We wouldn't be able to add scalability where scale does not exist 
Financial planning, the way our firm does it, is very labor intensive. We can't scale it. The more people we take on, the slower we become. So we have to run very strict and limit how many people we bring on every month. We can't bring on an unlimited amount of of people. It's not like we lead with asset management. Y'all know this. We don't lead with asset management. We're not looking to charge 1% of assets unlimited and force people to bring two, $3 million over to us and pay us $20,000, $30,000 a year for a silly 45-minute PDF printout from some software program. That's not what we do. It's not scalable. It's very methodical. So we can't offer every approach. We offer an approach that works for us and we get really good at it. And we evaluate it constantly. And again, I'm not looking to put you on the spot, Chris, but you've been with me for 12 years now, maybe 15. I have no idea how long you've been with me. July will be 15. No kidding. Wow. Where are you going to take crazy? What are you going to take me for our anniversary? What, what is what is that 15th year anniversary? I think it's hang out at the office and have soup. Really? I think that's That doesn't sound very fun. Yeah, it's 15. You sure it's not take your boss to Hawaii day? I don't I don't think that's at 15. Hmm. I'm going to have to Google that later. Anyways, our approach is constantly being val- evaluated. Mm-hmm. Do you agree that the way we do things now is dramatically different than when you first came on board almost 15 years ago? It's substantially different. I think the the um, the twinkle in your eye was there about what you were trying to do and some of the basics of what form our process still exist today. It's definitely been minimum dignity floor was always there. By the time you came on, I had identified minimum dignity floor and isolating it and covering it with secure income. Right. Right. So, so that, uh, you know, it definitely has evolved a lot. So I would, looking at all the changes, I think it probably has been dramatic, but it's not like we've thrown everything out and like started over a bunch of times. It's all been about fine tuning this this concept and with the the big leap forward was when we finally realized that we could benefit people in the way they think about spending in retirement um with this idea that we call the fun number when when we started attacking things that way that was being bolted together with the minimum dignity floor with which we'd been doing for a long time that was um uh, quite a change but that was what was fun number eight years ago nine ten years ago about eight years eight, ago eight years ago about halfway through about halfway through what i've been with you and another i mean it i, I had no idea i was going to mention this today and I, and and i hope you don't mind i'm about to mention this chris and i have in our opinion improved it yet again with a number we now call the fun vision number and how, and I'm not going to get into what that is, but we are on future podcasts. We're going to do a whole EDU series, but not yet. But this is something Chris and I brainstormed. Literally, this is new. I think it was about right around the time we were doing this podcast series in February. And I specifically remember I was in Chris's penthouse suite, the biggest room in the office, by the way, folks. And we were brainstorming a certain task we were trying to do in the office. I won't get into it. And do you remember, I remember it, Chris, it's like 
light bulbs were going off in his head and my head at the same time. And I think it was one of, if not the most productive conversations you and I have had with respect to our approach to retirement planning. And we've started to use this concept, fun vision number, several times with people recently. And Chris, I think so far, it's safe to say it's been very helpful. Let's just leave it at that. But yeah. And, and it's not and- it's not a replacement for the fun number, just so everybody knows. No, but no, you know, not at all. It is a different way of using the fun number. That's essentially Absolutely. that's essentially yep. what, what we've we discovered, that what we were trying to get people to do with the fun number was um, a little difficult for some people to actually deploy. And so we took another look at it, and this uh, alternative process came up, and we'll expand on that later. This isn't the show topic for today. Yeah, this isn't the show to do that. But the reason I share that is Chris and I, by, by narrowing our focus and adopting just one approach, and if you're a financial planner listening, especially a new planner, we sometimes get new planners listening to us for, for ideas on how to run your own business, Try to find one approach, whether it's for retirement or if you're working with with uh, technology workers or if you're working with uh, young doctors. There's all these different niches that advisors work with. Try to find one strategy and stick to it and become really good at that and find people who like your approach. Don't try to do, oh, I can do this strategy, this strategy, this strategy, that strategy, and that strategy because there's no synergy often between the strategies. And it doesn't work smoothly. Yeah, and that was the old way. And and people had to be all things to all people to attract enough folks to make a successful business. Nowadays, with the Internet, people aren't just looking in their hometown. They're looking worldwide for somebody who does what they're looking for really, really well. So the world has evolved. If you haven't you know, caught on yet, it's evolving to everyone specializing in things because when you're looking at, you know, the whole country, for instance, um, you don't have to have a very large percentage of those who might resonate with your particular approach to have plenty of folks to talk to. Um, so just, you know, specialization is is where it's at in the financial planning profession. Exactly. And the reason I share with our listeners, we are constantly looking at our approach and constantly looking at ways to improve it or ways to help clients improve it. And when I kept noticing that there was these brain uh, fog moments, there's another F word that a lot of people use, followed, preceded by the word brain, but we'll call it brain fog, that clients were having. And Chris and I addressed that. We brainstormed. We thought, oh, my God, why didn't we think of this earlier? And we're going to share with you because it may help you guys as you do it yourself as a writing your spread. All you VGs, you Vanguard engineer style people writing your spreadsheets, trying to come up with your own fun number. Uh, We will be sharing with you this concept in the future. I don't know when, probably within a month or two. Uh, and, And I'm very excited about it. And we've started to use it in the office and it has been working and people find it very helpful. And anyways, same concept different approach. And if anybody knows anything about me, one of the sayings I hate in this office, and I've said this before on the podcast, is people to say, that's the way we've always done it. I don't care. This is the way we're now going to do it. And it just is always room for improvement. And you see that with software, for instance, you get the first version and 
10, look at the first iPhone and how great that was. Now look at iPhone 14 or whatever the heck it is. They have so much better, but they just kept improving an initial concept. So let's address the first part of this person's question. There are no, remember, he's the, the pro guy. He says, hey, can you share any stories of people who spent their fun money and had, had no regrets? There's really only one story that I can share on that. Because the concept of what I have wasn't in existence 24 years ago when I started doing this. I created this and developed it and grew it. And we've really been running with the fun number concept for about the past eight years. So there's not a lot of people who have lived a full retirement yet under us. And honestly, I myself will probably be a client of this firm as a retiree before we start getting actual people who have gone all the way through and sadly passed away under our, our strategy because I'm 60 myself. But there is a story that happened that I think captures the essence of why I came up with this approach. And before I explain that story, I want Chris to kind of chime in here. Because Chris has always shared with me one of the things he didn't like about the quote-unquote safe withdrawal rate of a, approach to, to retirement planning is that it unnecessarily curtailed spending on fun early in retirement. And that was one of his negatives to the Monte Carlo-based probability statistics. And what do you firmly say to this day, Chris, the problem with that approach is what? The biggest weakness I see is that you um, don't know at the beginning how you're going to end up, which is true of any of these approaches. But with those approaches, they generate, when you look at it, that, uh, that safe withdrawal rate approach leaves open a real possibility of leaving tons of money behind when you're dead. There's a lot of focus on running out of money before you're dead, which rightly should get attention. But focusing only on that, you leave yourself open to being much more successful than you needed or expected. And a lot of folks will say, well, if you take that approach, if you start ending up on that kind of trajectory, then you can spend some more money when you realize that. And the problem is you have to go into retirement far enough to, before you can be confident that you're on that successful path to having more at the end than you thought. So then you can give yourself permission to spend a bit more money. You're going to be into that 8, 9, 10, 12 years before you can have the confidence to say, oh, yeah, we're definitely on one of these really positive paths. And by that time, think about how much your go-go years are gone. It's too darn late. Thanks for telling me now that I could spend more. It's too late. So if you, you know, are all about trying to enrich your beneficiaries, it's not so bad. But if you're trying to squeeze as much juice from the orange as possible, which is kind of what I prefer, um, I don't think that's an optimal approach. So that's, uh, you know, the biggest criticism I have of that standard approach. And, it, and it, I would call it a standard because it's so widely used in the financial advising industry. Oh, muted. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. 
Okay, perfect. And that, uh, that what Chris just said, is part of the reason we don't like the traditional approach to retirement. And I always wanted to come up with a way to encourage people to spend money while they could because they never know how long their go-go phase is going to be. Okay, so with that in mind, the closest I have to answer this gentleman's question, are there any anecdotes or stories that I can share? This is a true story. I'm going to change the names, as we always do. We're going to call them George and Georgette. This probably happened, I'm going to say, six or seven years ago now. I could go back and look and get the exact year that this conversation took place. But a couple came into my office. <clears throat> he was older than the wife, uh, substantially older than the wife. I think about 10 years older, which we see a lot. We see age differences. It's not always the man that's older. We sometimes have the, the woman who's substantially older than the husband. But the majority of the time, it's the, the husband is, is older than the wife. But I think, Chris, you can say it's fairly common for us to see 8, 10, 12-year age differences sometimes. It's still the minority, but yes, that's, still, that's more common than you might think. Yeah, it's more common than, than you think. And oftentimes when you have these age differences, uh, you have one client who's still kind of go-going and the other client who might be entering slow-go phase because there's a, a large age difference between, between the two of them. This couple started working with me a long time ago. They were one of my original clients. And uh, there's about, a, like I said, a 10-year age difference between the two of them. They had a lot of secure income uh, from some public service that uh, this, I, I will say the, the wife uh, had back when they lived uh, not in Colorado. They came from another state. And then he was a retired professional. I won't give away his profession. I'm really trying to protect the privacy of this couple. And um, he was a professional with a typical retirement of a lump sum of, of money. He continued to work a lot longer in retirement, more so out of a desire to. He stayed on as a consultant, set his own hours. When he was bored, he worked, made some good money as, as a retired professional, and he was good at what he did. But they also spent a lot of time wanting to travel. Travel was their big thing. So we gave them a budget. And the budget was approximately $213,000. And I'm pulling that out of just my memory, folks. I, I should have looked this exact case up. But I'm 99% sure it was about $213,000 as their fun number. Back then, when they started working with me, I didn't quite have the concept of fun number, but I told them that I felt comfortable them being able to spend this much money uh, on fun while they could. And they did. And they did for about five years. And I remember once they came into the office and they were both sitting, this was a Colorado client, obviously, but I'm not going to give away the states that they, they moved here from. And they came into my office and they're sitting down and we're reviewing uh, some of their portfolio. We didn't manage all their assets, but we managed a good portion of their assets for them to simplify their life. Convenience portfolio is what we call it. 
And we were going through that. And I noticed a huge change, by the way, folks. This kind of let me go down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. Uh, when they first started, the wife was never interested in the portfolio at all. It, she didn't understand it. She was bored by it. She just It just wasn't her thing. And in fact, uh, eventually she stopped even coming to portfolio review meetings. The man totally into it, geeked out on it big time, folks. But towards the end, he didn't really care about it either. And that, Chris, I think is typical. Not necessarily, well, yeah, I think both of those anecdotes are typical. Usually there's one spouse very involved, one spouse not involved. And oftentimes people who are really into investing eventually aren't so much anymore. What do you have to comment on that, Chris? If anything, I don't want to throw you under the bus, but you do a lot of the planning now. Do you agree with that statement or statements, plural? Yeah, I agree that uh, that is you know pretty common that there's one really into it, the other one not so much, and then if eventually even the one that was really interested decides they've got better things to do in retirement than think about managing their financial situation or their portfolio. Um, and yeah. yeah, we see that all the time. That's you see it all the time. which is an area where I think a financial advisor can really be helpful just to plug, you know, financial advising slash planning more broadly for people out there who are avid do it yourselfers. There's going to come a time when you might want to need some help or if something happens to you and you're the one who takes care of everything, think about the position you're going to leave your spouse in if you predecease them. Having things ready and simple and figured out and a relationship already built can be very valuable. So um, keep that in mind as you're going forth into retirement as a do-it-yourselfer, something you should not be ignoring. Exactly. And eventually the, the interest in managing assets in this gentleman waned as well. That really is not germane to this person's question. I just wanted to share that. To all you Vanguard VGs out there, there might come a time in your life you just don't want to deal with this anymore. Keep that in mind. Okay, so back to the story at hand. So they started spending this fun pool down. They used to call it their crazy account. And they would just enjoy themselves travel and travel and travel. That's what they did and the stories and everything. One day they came in for their review. And is how many years ago was that? Three years ago. And I'll never forget this, ever. And they're sitting down in my office. And we're chatting. And it was the two of them. And normally two of them stopped coming. It used to be just him. But this particular time, the wife came. And I didn't think anything of it at the time. And we're reviewing the portfolio and... He by now was in his early 80s. I think it just, it was either 79 or 80, just, just turning into 80. And or maybe it was 81 or 82, but very early 80s, folks. And we're having our meeting and everything's going fine. And he excused himself. He said that he had to go use the restroom. And my office is literally right across from, from the restroom uh, on the first floor of the office. And he left my office and it's a it's an old, well, it's a new home, but it's designed to look like an old home. And there's wood doors and wood floors. So when you hear a wood door close, you can really hear it clicking closed. 
And he got up and he walked towards the, the, the bathroom. And of course, once he left my office, I couldn't see him. And I'm just sitting there. I'm not really saying much. And as soon as we could clearly hear that bathroom door close, like a light switch, folks, and I am not kidding you, like a light switch, the woman started crying. At first, Chris, I was shocked. I didn't know what to do. There was no indication whatsoever that there was even tears building. There was no conversation prior to him getting up to go to the bathroom, that there was anything sad that was about to be shared with me. But when that bathroom door closed, she started crying. And she looked at me with her tear-filled eyes and said, I want to thank you. That is an exact quote. Just like the strawberry story, Chris, that I will never forget, I'm not going to forget this. And I looked at her and my exact reply back to her folks was, thank me for what? And I think I told you this story before. I think I said this once on the podcast. She answered with two words. Do you remember those? I'm not looking to throw you under the bus, Chris, because I don't talk about this all the time. Do you remember her two words? I don't. She said, the memories. And she said, thanks to you. And showing us we could spend this money on fun. I am going to have a lifetime of memories. And she went on to say, and she never told me what he had. But she said, he's not going to tell you this. But there has been a medical condition, or I know she used the word condition or issue. And our days of travel are over forever. And I am going to have these memories and these photos of what we did because you showed me I could spend this money on fun. And it was right around that time we heard the door open from the bathroom. And I've never seen this. The tears stopped. It's, it's I don't know if it's a woman thing or if it was just a couple thing that she could be so open and honest, and then boom, as soon as he's coming back, she clearly did not want him to know she told me this. And he never once ever told me what his medical condition was, and it never came up in a conversation between us. And I honored what I interpreted to be privacy. And he died last year. Two years after she told me what was happening. I can't say that's going to happen for everyone, but it encapsulates what I was trying and still am trying to accomplish. If I limited them to a safe withdrawal rate, I don't think they would have been able to have done half of what they did. 
I have nothing against a safe withdrawal rate for retirement. And if it works for you, God bless you and go for it. It is by far the most common approach to retirement planning. The cynic in me says it's for a variety of other reasons than its accuracy. And I've shared that openly, how I don't like my industry at times, folks. But to me, my approach was to allow this couple to spend money on the go-go phase while they could because of the big age difference between them. I am almost certain it was 213000 was their budget. The fun budget was left with us. When they left, I went back and looked up their fun budget account. And I wish I wrote all this down. My gut tells me the dollar amount in there was 87000 It was in the 80s. That I know. I think it was eighty-seven. I think the beginning value was either 213 or 218. And I believe the day she told me that story, it was down to 87. When he died, it was zero. Fun for them became spending time with their brand new grandson. And that remaining money was spent nearly entirely on spending time with the grandson and doing grandson kind of things and paying for family to come do things. When he died, it was essentially nothing left. I think there was a little over five grand left. We'll just call it zero. That to me, Chris, is the only story that I can share. And it's, it's heart rendering. I'm, I'm trying not to be emotional now because I knew these people and I knew him. But it kind of captures the essence of what I'm trying to do. Is our approach perfect? Hell no. And that leads into the next gentleman's question. Well, one thing I want to add just on, you know, similarly, while we don't have anybody who's done 30 years in the process since we haven't been doing it for 30 years, we've got people at all the different stages that are kind of participating in the process. So we're kind of seeing it at different stages, people early in the go-go period, late in the go-go period, in their slow-go period, etc. So it's not the same person, but we're seeing people throughout and I will tell you that I do constantly get uh, positive feedback about people who have stepped forth into the go-go period with a clear fun number that they have developed kind of with our help. They, it takes a lot of decision-making on their part as well. It's not us just doing it all and telling them what to go do. You've got to make some of your own decisions and priorities. But... Um, you know, many, many times people that were otherwise resistant to spending because they just weren't sure what they could spend were able to spend a fair amount on things and are fully enjoying themselves and um, appreciate kind of, you know, embracing our approach because it's given them the freedom to actually go out and enjoy the early years of their retirement. Yeah, excellent. Excellent way of describing it. So let's go to the opposite, though. We don't want people to think our approach is the only approach. I want you to kind of learn and decide for yourself what works for you. And in the effort of being fair, again, it's freaky, 
that a few hours after that first email, I get that second email that essentially says, hey, if an advisor that you respect was trying to point out what is not wise with your approach, what do you think that advisor would say? Well, Chris and I don't feel our approach is the only way. And I came up with some of the things that I feel are, are negatives. And you can weigh the pros and the cons because everything in life is a pro and a con and decide which, which is perfect. And as I read these, Chris, please, please chime in and expand. And if you can think of any others that aren't on my list, please chime in and expand. But one of the first things that I think can happen because we don't limit you to a safe withdrawal rate. One of the pros of a safe withdrawal rate, even though it, un, in our opinion, may unnecessarily constrain spending early in retirement, it does set a budget and eliminates the risk of spending way too fast, blowing your money. We don't limit our clients by choice. Who the hell are we to tell a client, it's your money, but you can't spend it? Who am I to tell someone that? If you work with us or an advisor with a similar approach or do it yourself as you're writing your spreadsheets, you VGs, you're going to come up with what you feel is your fun number. You've whittled that onion down. You've peeled off all these layers and you got what you think is your fun number. You might spend it too fast if you don't have spending constraints. I think that is a downside. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I think there's some risk that you don't put in enough uh, back-end protections that you could, you know, take it too far and and overspend. So I think the the key to mitigating this, and this is what we encourage people to do, is make sure you're fully comfortable with the backstops, these reserves, the set-asides, the minimum dignity floor protections, all these all these things that you might want to prioritize over your fund. Make sure those are truly adequate for you, that you're not going to find yourself regretting uh, you know, having too small of a reserve for this, that, and the other thing. So uh, I do think that's a that's a risk that isn't really apparent in a more conventional approach because you are strictly adhering to a fixed budget, and that's kind of what keeps you in line. Is you you know can't really go outside of this constrained budget, which is another form of giving yourself long term protection because there's you know two approaches. Our approach, which is to carve off and identify long term protections uh, against you know things that could come up you need money for later in life um, and then spend the rest is our approach. The other approach is let's constrain you enough where we're kind of naturally generating reserves for later because we're keeping you from spending very much early on. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they're not that different. They just have their, their, their pros and cons like you're, you're mentioning. There's, there's trade-offs there. Okay, perfect. There's another one. Our approach forces you to, to make tough decisions early on. It forces you to try to decide ahead of time what you want to, to earmark. It's the opposite of a safe, in my opinion, safe withdrawal rate, where 
it's a little easier entering retirement with a safe withdrawal rate. You're given what that is. Okay, here are your assets. You can take out 4%, 4.8, 5.2, 3.9, whatever you, if you're a do-it-yourselfer, have come up with, or you and your advisor, if you're using an advisor, it's a little bit easier. Here's your button. Here it is. This is all you can take out. There you go. Easy. But our approach forces you to make tough decisions up front. And to me, that might be a negative. It's harder sometimes to decide exactly what you want to do. But because you can only spend a dollar once, we have to make those tougher decisions up front. Because you can't go and spend and then realize later, well, I needed those dollars for this, that, or the other thing. So we to come up with the fun number, we have to start looking and making these tougher decisions early on. I don't know if that's truly a con, but it's maybe a more involved planning strategy initially. Some people don't. I know If you're listening to this podcast, you geek out on retirement planning like I'm geeking out on estate planning. I just, for some reason, just enjoy estate planning. I'm one of these sickos, and I'm by no means an expert in it. Trust me. But I just like going out and learning it. If you guys are doing this, you're kind of geeking out on this. I got news for you. 90, 95% of people could give a damn about this. And they're not going to be able to walk through this process. It's a lot easier for them to go to a Monte Carlo probability safe withdrawal advisor and are given a budget and said, this is all you can spend every year, rather than asking them, well, how do you want to approach aging? Let's look at this in, uh, you know, through, through the lens of your retirement analysis. And what about a guaranteed inheritance? And how much do you want to reserve for a buffer? And all the questions that we ask. And it sometimes can be, I think, Chris, a little too overwhelming for some people. Not listeners to this podcast, probably, but the public in general. What do you think? True. I think you have to be a little more proactive to, to make these decisions because to ultimately get to a usable fund number, you've got to make some decisions. If you're not willing to make the decisions on what your other priorities might be and what monies need to be dedicated to those other priorities, you'll never get to your fund number. So, you know, there is an upfront burden uh, that's, you know, some people are willing to do, others are not. Okay. Another negative, and this applies to all financial planning. Even if you're a 20 or 30-year-old listening to this podcast, decisions you may make in your 20s or 30s, or if you're in your 60s and you're trying to plan your retirement, 5, 10, 15 years later, or one year later, may turn out totally different than what you expected. Reality may not actually happen the way you thought. But that's a downside to all planning, which ties into when I used to do in the office what Chris does. Chris right now meets with clients and his role will be changing too. And we'll share that in the not too distant future. He's still always going to be involved with retirement planning clients. Do not worry. But his title and role is also going to be evolving. The firm evolves. We all involve. But when I was very involved with, with what Chris does now, the delivery of the actual plan, the hands-on with the client facing, and back then everything was done face-to-face. 90% of our clients were, were in person here uh, since COVID and, and stuff. Everything's on Zoom now. But 
I would always begin my retirement analysis by saying everything I'm about to review with you is wrong. And I would just explain to him, we cannot predict the future. So we are going to look not necessarily at the accuracy of the numbers. We just need to make sure and look at the trends. And I always tell people that. Minim- I've said this before on the show. All you, all you Vanguardian engineer style do-it-yourselfers, you don't have to nail that bullseye and guess exactly what you're going to be paying for groceries in 27 years. Well, you can't hit that bullseye. Let's just put it out there. You're not going to hit it even if you tried. But the good news exactly. is to be successful in doing you know, these projections, at least projections good enough to make decisions, you don't have to be on the bullseye. You've got to be close. Got to be relatively close, reasonable, but uh, yeah, you might be searching for for something that doesn't exist if you're infatuated with hitting a bullseye on everything. Exactly, and we tell them it's the trends. The trends is what matters, and the the I have it just jumped into my head on this. So uh, people who listen to this probably know that uh, we take a very passive approach to our asset management strategies. And I shared on previous podcasts how I went from active to active and passive combined to just finally passive approach. All you Vanguard VGs, whether or not you're actually at Vanguard or an engineer, you all have that personality VGs. And I just kind of like, I think it's cute VGs instead of BGs. But all you VG-like people, whether you're at Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab, T. Rowe Price, wherever you may be, you understand passive investing. And you understand tracking an index. Well, we do that. And the gentleman who helps us with that is named Travis. He lives in Georgia. He's a chartered financial analyst. You don't do this, Chris, but this so ties into what we're trying to get people to understand with retirement planning. It just literally popped into my head. And we meet with Travis every quarter, obviously not in person because he's in Georgia. And he walks us, Chris, through our models, how are the models doing. We strive for zero finance, for advisor alpha. You're going to find that odd if you're an AUM manager and you are pushing that, hey, you're going to hire me because I'm going to, quote, unquote, beat the market or beat the index. Great. And you need to show advisor alpha. I can't show alpha in a passive portfolio because if I'm outperforming the benchmark, I'm not tracking the benchmark. So we strive for zero advisor alpha. We strive for a beta of one. We strive for a R squared of 100. And Travis walks us all through this. Here's what's neat, Chris. Our portfolios as a whole achieve all that. It's pretty good. Travis is good at what he does. And he picks the index ETFs in his opinion that best mimic the Morningstar target risk portfolios. Morningstar does not release the investments they choose, but they release the asset classes. So he chooses ETFs that, in his opinion, closely replicate what Morningstar is doing. But here's the unique thing, Chris. If you look at each ETF individually, some of them... You, you, I'm like, Travis, why the hell do we own this ETF? 
And I say, look at it compared to the ETF's benchmark. It's not doing right. Or it has one or two or three morning star star ratings. And that, that gets Travis right there. He's like, stop looking at their star ratings. <laughs> you look at some, and it is freaky. He even says it. You look at some of our ETFs individually, and you question the accuracy. But you put them together, Chris, and the trend was amazing. It Zero alpha, well, close to zero alpha. You don't have exactly zero alpha, but as close to zero alpha as we can get. 99.9 something on, on the R squared, beta of 1.01 uh, or 1.02, one or 2% more difference than the benchmark. As a group, it's accurate. Individually, it may not be. So maybe your, where does this all tie in, folks? Maybe your expenses you later on pull out and you're like, oh my God, did I way underestimate my electricity and overestimated my auto insurance? And it, it's individually, it's not good, but you put them together. The trends that those wrong numbers, the trend is accurate. Does that kind of make sense, Chris, what I'm trying to say to, Travis, uh, to the listeners? I think so. That ties into retirement planning as well. You don't have to be as exactly accurate as you want, but it is a, a negative that we, we have to say. It may not occur as expected. It's the trends that matter, though. Okay, kind of want to wrap this up, but this one is from you from way back, Chris. I hope you might remember it because I wrote <laughs> it down. You once told me, and problem with our approach, and you've said this on the podcast before, it may not give you the biggest inheritance possible if that is your goal is to die with the most money. Is it not, Chris? Because that is a negative to our approach because you're going to spend your money. Right, because we're going to recommend people do things that are in, in, you know, opposite to generating the largest inheritance. We are wanting to provide longevity protection for the minimum dignity floor via secure income and secure income is not something generally that you can pass in an inheritance. So any assets that you dedicate to secure income are now non-inheritable assets. So there's that piece. Plus remember, we're trying to encourage people to spend a bunch of money early, right? That's going to naturally suppress what's left at the end. What you're going to get instead are experiences, memories, you know, being able to enrich others' lives if you're if you're doing things with them, maybe doing things with family and friends and all that kind of stuff. That's that's what you're replacing the dollars you have for those things, which means, yeah, there's naturally not going to be as many dollars at the end when you pass away. So if you're looking for priority of inheritance, our method is definitely not geared to maximize it. Not that people using our method won't likely leave an inheritance. They usually do because those who set aside enough reserves for all of the, you know, things that might happen that you spend money on, very few people will end up having that that bad thing happen to them in every respect, in every regard that was protected against. So the monies that you set aside to protect yourself, some of those are never going to be spent and you're going to leave those behind. Um, we don't do a whole lot of tapping home equity to to do retirement stuff. 
there's sometimes that is the case and it fits well within a certain scenario but for the most part uh, the home will be left behind and so so there's likely to be assets left behind even with our process but they're not going to be likely as large as they would have been if you'd followed a more traditional approach um just kind of the way it is right and if that's what your goal is our approach may not be right for you i got two more so we'll go through these the next one this is a tough one, but I do have to concede that our approach isn't right for everyone because as you start breaking up your portfolio, the see-through portfolio, just like I'm trying to do with my home improvement, my basement improvement budget rather, there may not be enough to go around. I'm beginning to realize that, folks, with my budget for my basement. I may not be able to do everything I want to do. I refuse to put more money into this budget. It's just a given. And I may not be able to do everything that I want to do. You may go through our process and realize, I just don't have enough money to stop breaking this all up. And I just need to restrict my spending and and just live off of a budget. If I start to break it all up, it just doesn't work. Now, you, it may mean if we have someone like that, that you either can't retire, you're going to have to go back to work, you're going to have to work part time, whatever the case may be. But for some people, as they approach retirement, there just isn't enough money to dedicate to everything. And sadly, it can become defeatist to people. And we understand that. And it might mean a different approach to funding their retirement using a safe withdrawal rate and a lot, just a, a big portfolio with a 60, 40, 70, 30, 80, 20 approach, no positioning, no breaking it out, no identifying the fund number, just saying, hey, I'm going to make this work somehow and I'm only going to spend X amount. I need you, Mr. and Mrs. Advisor, to, to help me figure out what that X is. I, to me, Chris, it, it's, we've seen this before. Would you agree it's a negative or is this more a reflection of that some people just don't have enough sadly saved or is it a mixture of both? I think it's a little bit of both, but I think one thing that our approach does do is it, it forces you to face reality when you start breaking it up. Sometimes looking at your whole pile, it seems substantial and you're like, oh, I'm only spending a little bit of that every year. And you don't really realize that you're going forth into retirement with some risks that you might otherwise want to avoid or prefer to avoid. Um, and, and sometimes you just don't have enough resources to have, to protect against these risks. But I think there is value in at least knowing and recognizing what they are and making a conscious decision to not cover them. Just kind of go forth and, and take your chances in certain areas. At least you're you're knowing what you're getting into um, and our, you know, kind of process forces you to identify those pieces, which um, you know, can be uncomfortable. And, and ultimately, if you don't have enough money to come up with a fund number, then our approach is probably not practically useful for you. But um, I think looking at the things we encourage you to look at is helpful, even if the news isn't so good. Exactly. And the final one. And yeah, I think this is a negative to our approach, but it's not what I created this approach for. Our firm specializes, folks, if you haven't figured that out yet, we had distribution planning people. That's what we specialize in. We're not accumulation planners. 
you don't come to us in the 20s or 30s. We, we wouldn't take you as a client. And we have people in their 20s and 30s and even 40s reaching out to us. And I, I send them to the XYPN or to, to Garrett Planning Network and tell them to keep searching or, or something. It's just, it's not what we do. Our approach is not geared to helping people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s determine if they are on track to retirement. You need at that point an advisor, whether it's a financial planner or an investment advisor or a mixture of the two. They're going to manage your investments and give you planning. You need someone geared towards accumulation planners or planning. We are not accumulation planners. Our approach does not work if you are 35 or 40 trying to figure out if you can retire at 65. I think in that accumulation mode is where a Monte Carlo probability statistic comes in much handier, a safe withdrawal rate to give you an idea at least if you're saving enough. And if you don't like the probability, it tells you, well, I got to save more. I think Monte Carlo safe withdrawal rate probability statistic excels over our approach in an accumulation phase of your life. I don't think it works in distribution. It's a different phase of your life. I don't wear the same clothes I wore in my 20s. I don't feel the same in my 20s, 30s, and excuse me, in my near 60. I'm going to be 60 this year. Oh. But I don't feel the same. I planted onions yesterday. Y'all know I got it. I planted onions. My back was killing me, Chris. In my 20s, folks, I was a landscaper before I became a cop. I was a landscaper and tree arborist. That's what I went to school for initially before I got my master's in criminal justice. I would climb trees and cut them down with ropes. I didn't use a bucket truck. That's for wusses. And if you're an arborist listening, I'm only kidding. We didn't have bucket trucks way back then, or at least I couldn't afford one when I was trying to do this. I was an entrepreneur. I always had my own businesses. I would climb trees with ropes and cut them down with chainsaws, swinging from trees. I loved it. And I could go out that night and party till three in the morning and do it again at eight o'clock. I came in last night from planting a little patch of onions. And my back was hurting. I took two Tylenol and went to bed. We're not the same. How can you use a accumulation approach to do a distribution portfolio? And conversely, how can you use a distribution approach to retirement planning in the accumulation phase? It's like oil and water. It's not peanut butter and jelly. They don't go well together. It's oil and water. So I do feel that's a negative to our approach. If you are still in the accumulation phase, don't rely on our approach. It's not designed for you. It's a distribution strategy. Now, if you're in the transition phase, which for us is generally five to 10 years from retirement, I think either approach is still reasonable. Now, Chris, who does this now, I haven't really did retirement. I'm still involved in the asset management and still very involved in the insurance side of the practice because I'm still training junior, junior. And we have a new junior that we'll be introducing in the not too distant future. And maybe we'll have to have our listeners vote 
on the nicknames. The new junior gave herself a nickname and I gave her a nickname. Without giving away the nicknames, you just heard them today. Come on, to be honest, who's this cuter? Mine or hers? One's a little sexist, just so you know. Oh, please. Who's this cuter, mine or hers? Hers. Ah, damn it. <laughs> we'll let our listeners decide on what we'll call the new junior. Hers is, more, it, hers is more thought-provoking. <laughs> Say what? Hers is more thought-provoking. Makes you... Mine's more cuter. Thought- yeah. Whatever. Uh, whatever. We're go- I am going to let the listeners decide with this junior. She's coming on as a tax focus, another student of Chris's, highly recommended. Okay, anyways, it's neither here nor there. Where I'm trying to go with this is our approach is not geared towards accumulation planning. Do you agree, Chris? Correct. We're all about the distribution. That, to me, is a negative. And that's the list I had to answer this gentleman's question. What would an advisor we respect say are the negatives and problems with our approach to retirement planning? It's a distribution approach to retirement planning, not an accumulation. And then all the other negatives that we listed. It's not perfect, but it it works for us. And we're going to continue till the day I retire and till the day I die, whoever takes over this, this firm. Uh, to to approach retirement that way. Uh, We just believe in it. Um, Anyways, anything else you want to add? Hopefully people found this interesting. I did. It's just, I mean, only I can take the remodel of a a basement and turn it into retirement planning, but I think it fits the analogy that I'm trying to get people to walk away with. I'm just trying to give you guys food for thought, things to think of as you're trying to crunch your numbers and figure out how are you going to project if you can retire. There's many, many, maybe we'll do an EDU, Chris. There's others besides a safe withdrawal rate. There's all these approaches, a guardrail approach, ceiling floor. They're all offshoots of the safe withdrawal Monte Carlo projection, but maybe we'll do a little show on that, Chris, kind of talking about other uh, approaches that other advisors have have done that, that borrow from the Monte Carlo approach. So there's several different ways to approach retirement. I would say four, five, six, not even including us is just ours. It's just something we believe in. And we've been podcasting on for, for quite some time. Chris has been helping me with for the last 15 years, apparently, come this July. Uh, we will broadcast live, by the way, from Hawaii as Chris takes me on our 15-year anniversary trip. Mm-hmm. Or so, if, we're, if we discover it is indeed the sitting in the office and having soup celebration we can live stream that as well. I, I, I think you're going to find it's the Hawaii one. But anyways, we shall see. We shall see. <laughs> well, thanks, everybody, for listening again. Um, I don't think we've picked a topic for next week, but it'll, it shall be neither fun number nor um, what did we just talk about? The structured products, the... Oh, you're talking about the ETFs? Yeah, but there was a word that's on the tip of my buffered tongue products. now. Buffered. Pardon? Defined outcome buffered products. Yeah. So it's That a, was the previous. I don't know where yeah. you're going. This, that was the two EDUs we did recently. Right, right, this, right. So it won't be that either. So we'll come up with something new for next uh, next time. And if you've got an idea for an EDU show, you want us to go on some random direction, 
We're always open to suggestions, so you can email Jim, jim at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S.com, and uh, we'll take it under advisement. And you all have a great afternoon. Jim, you do the same, and we'll be back with everybody next week with a brand-new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now, you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor.